Father, we thank you, Father, for this evening. Father, we confessed through our worship that we need you. Yes, Lord, every step of the way we need you, Lord. Without you, we can do nothing. We confess our need. Our need is you and the power of your spirit. Father, unless you quicken this word, O Lord, it will just fall to the ground. It will just be empty words. Unless you anoint, the letter will only kill. It's a spirit which brings life. And therefore I pray, Lord, that you will anoint each one of us this evening. We humble ourselves and we cast ourselves before you, on you, and upon you. That you would strengthen us to speak your word and to hear your word. Open our ears this evening. Give us an open mind, receptive heart, and an obedient spirit. Thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's learn what God has to share for us. Let's just title this message as Learning Obedience. Okay. The reason why I've been, what I've been doing off, off late, one of the things that I've been doing in my study of the word, um, whenever, whatever, whoever the preacher is, and whenever I listen to any message online or, or even study scripture, one of the things that I want to do is ask God to give me the thoughts of the writer, if it's scripture, or the thoughts of the speaker, even as he's speaking. You know, one of the things which often happens, often happens, and which is true for, by and large true, but not always, is that when we come to a meeting, we may come with a presupposition that the entire message is not for me. And it may well be true. But that does not mean that you should not follow the train of thought of the preacher. You need to understand that. And off late, what I've been doing is vicariously, you know, reinvent or re-structure um, the whole plane and start thinking, Lord, how would I, how, why, what is the Holy Spirit trying to think? What is he trying to teach me through this train of thought? And I've been doing for quite some time now. And when I listen to any message from this pulpit or any other place, I want to, I want to ask God, where are you leading me here? Okay, you, this verse comes after this, this verse comes after this. There is a train of thought which is coming and you're giving me one central message and I want to get that. You got it? That is the exercise that I've been doing off late with remarkable results for myself. Okay. I'm, and I'm, that is what I'm enjoying actually. I'm really, really enjoying. In fact, uh, some time back I kind of re, um, uh, I, st- I started thinking, you know, if Apostle Paul were writing a letter, alright, and we think that it just came like a flow of thought, you no. Know, if you, we were doing the book of Romans 16 chapter, 7,100 words. He started writing. One shot, the letter is over. Do you think it happened? 
I don't think so. We have PhD students over here. To write one line in your thesis, how much of thought you write, how much of thought you put. You pace back and forth and you think over it and you write it and no, 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 no this is not what it is and you throw it out. So just imagine Apostle Paul, okay, he's just he's this short, bald guy with a long beard. Okay, with a, with a stack of papyrus on his left hand side and it's just, he's got a table and he's got a lamp and then he's got his, his, his bottle of ink and he's got that, that feather pen. Imagine, okay, I'm restructuring, reconstructing the whole scenario and he's dipping the ink and he's starting writing, starting to write the letter and he's thinking, he's praying. What should I, what should come next, Lord? How should I impact my hearers? It's an incredible exercise. I mean, if you come to the preaching ministry, you will understand it is not an easy job because you have to really, really start thinking God's thoughts. So, why did I have to say that? I wanted to say that as an introduction because whenever you come to a particular meeting, especially on a Wednesday meeting, come with this attitude, Lord, I want to think. I know it's difficult for people who come from work. You've already thought quite a bit. And if you're a software programmer, you've thought quite a bit. As to how to manipulate. <laughs> but, but, but come and, and say, Lord, I want to think, Lord, I want to think your thoughts. I want to go through this train of thought, this exercise, so that I can get the central message as to what you're trying to tell me. Why? This is uh, a good translation for us to read. This is, um, uh, this is, uh, the, a translation, Romans chapter 8, verse 6, uh, I very, I forgot the translation. It says, look at this, it says, the mind of the spirit. You see that? I'm not getting it, okay. The mind of the spirit. The mind of the spirit. The mind of the spirit is peace. But the mind of the flesh is death. So when I come to a particular meeting, I want to think what the mind of the spirit is. And that is truth. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. Okay. It goes on to say in the same chapter of the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 26 and 28. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the spirit is. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And whenever we pray, say, Lord, let your will be done in a prayer. We think that we're going to ruin that prayer. No, we don't. You see, the mind of the Spirit. You need to start thinking, Lord, what are you teaching me? What is the mind of the Spirit? Don't ever think, don't ever think that when you come to Christianity, you stop thinking. And, it, and all his faith. No, 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 no. Apostle Paul himself will say in Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 7, he says, whatever I have taught you, think on those things and the Lord will give you understanding. And the Lord will give you understanding. So, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God and then we will understand the next verse that all things will work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Therefore, if you, if you have the mindset of the spirit, it doesn't matter what circumstances you're going through, you will still have peace because you understood what the spirit is trying to teach us through a 
particular word. I want to give you an example. This, uh, this, what is, what the mind of the spirit is. Mind of the spirit is essentially the mind of God. It says the spirit searches the deep things of God. He is thinking something for you. It's a very interesting passage in Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, we know that was, you know the thoughts that I have for you, etc. But before you come to that verse, I want to position that, that verse in its context. I want to look at it in verse 4, Jeremiah chapter 24, 29 verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all the exiles whom, look at this, this is precious. Okay. This, whom I have sent into exile. Think about it, no? I have sent into exile you all. That is the reason why when we came last time, Second Corinthians chapter, Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14, if my people are called by my name, when should they humble themselves? If I have shut the heavens, I have caused no rain. If I, I have done all this and during that time, if my people humble themselves. You see? To all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Babylon to Jerusalem. This is what he, this particular verse is promising to the people who have been sent into exile. Sent into captivity. Think about it, no? Do you ever think that captivity is a, captivity is a blessing for us? Very rarely. Very rarely. Look at what verse 10 says. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed, this captivity is not for one one year or two years or three years, it is for 70 years. 70 years captivity. Be ready. When 70 years are completed for for Babylon, I will visit you, I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And then he says, this very powerful word, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. What does it mean? What's best for me is in God's mind and therefore he sends me into exile and some of you are in exile. Period. He shut all doors for you. No way to escape. And it was God's thoughts for you for peace and not for evil. Really? Honestly, many of you are in exile. You're saying, Lord, you're fighting. But you don't understand in that very exile that God has sent you, whatever that exile could be, his thoughts to prosper you. The mind of the spirit is peace. You can have peace. You can prosper in the very exile where God has sent you. I'm not talking about physical prosperity. I'm talking about spiritual prosperity. I remember John Piper when he was called to the Angola state prison. And he was telling those prisoners, he says, you know what? You think that you are in prison, but let me tell you, this is the greatest blessing God has bestowed in your life. And because God has a plan for you, and in this prison where you're thinking that you are jailed, you can actually experience true, true freedom, whereas all the people who are actually experience, experiencing apparent freedom are in exile in their minds. But you have the opportunity to be free. Can we think those thoughts? That is the reason why when we lead, listen to a message, even if it is bad news, sounds like bad news to us, 
even if it hurts us, even if it, oh, it's very blunt, very straight, Lord, hang on, Lord, I don't want to get offended. What is your mind? And the mind of the spirit is always peace. Get that? But you know what happens? Many people don't like that. So what do they do? They go and run after other people who will tell you otherwise. And therefore God wants in the same chapter in chapter 29 of Jeremiah 8 and 9, he says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners, he calls them soothsayers, diviners, who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Meaning they come and say, you know what? This is just a temporary phase, brother. This is not for 70 years. Within a few years, you'll go back to Jerusalem. God is not going to allow that. And you know what happens? People who actually take this as a word of God in the context and go to captivity prosper, among, among them obviously is Daniel and Ezekiel, and all those people who stay back are perished, have perished by the sword. They die. They don't understand that God has thoughts to prosper you and therefore he sends you into captivity. He's got thoughts. So when you come to a particular message every time, pray. Say, Lord, what is your mind? What is your mind? I want to have that mind. I want to experience them. I want to think on those things. That's what Pastor was talking about in Philippians chapter 4. He says, whatever is noble, whatever is of worth, if there is any worth, think on those things. And the God of, and the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts. You want peace? Think God. And of late, one of the challenges that I'm going through is, Lord, One thing I want to do, I want to justify full-time ministry. I want to know your word. I want to memorize as much of the Bible as possible so that I can have some meat in my brain so I can constantly think your word. And it's amazing. Oh, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. That's one of the gifts that my, my parents have given me. The art of memorizing. I thank God for them. Okay. It's amazing. Oh, you wouldn't believe the times that I have on my bike (laughs) in the midst of this horrid traffic on the bike. It's going on and on and on and on. Boy, I said, boy, this is awesome, God. Why did I not recognize this before? You know what? Martin Luther, he by-hearted the entire Old New Testament in Greek. We struggle in English. In the ESV. <laughs> but that's just a, just, just a gift, okay? That's the gift that God has given me. And I want to say, Lord, I want to start thinking your thoughts. And I know when I think your thoughts, there is peace. There is peace, Lord. I know all things are working together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. And therefore, when you come to a meeting, say, Lord, Give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation more than that. Give me the spirit of, and the discipline of listening to your voice and knowing your mind. And knowing your mind. Natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God because they are foolishness to him. 
But he who is spiritual discerns all things. He starts applying it and he gets the thoughts of God. This is what he's thinking. And he says, boy, this is so pertinent to my situation. See? Think. And therefore, that is not my message, by the way. That is only by way of introduction. Last time, therefore, his obedience, and the title of last Wednesday's message, if you can go online and listen to it, I would encourage you to listen to it. His obedience saves us. That's the title of the message. And it tells, and, 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 and so I was trying to do the same thing. I was saying, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? What are you thinking? Okay, so I'm more of a tutor today. Okay, we already heard a message. So how should I think after having heard your word? You got it? That's what I'm going to do. The central crux of the message was hovering around a particular verse from the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verses 7 to 9. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to, uh, to him he was able to uh, save him from death. He was offering up supplication prayers to him who was able to save him from death. And we know what death he was talking about. It was not the death on the cross. It was a death which which is resulted by eternal separation from God, which is caused by sin. That is the death that that pastor was talking about. He was not talking about the death on the cross. If it was a death on the cross, obviously he didn't help him. The prayers didn't work. No, it's that is not the prayer that he was offering. He was offering... A prayer to God saying, Lord, I don't want to fall. Help me. That's remarkable. It's amazing. Think about it. God crying out to God. Who's crying out to God? God crying out to God. Why did I say that? Hebrews will say, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. The Lord, God the Father, said to God the Son, sit at my right hand and you look at this picture here, just picture in your mind, Jesus, the creator of the universe, is crying out to the creator, Lord, help me. Think about that. I don't want to fall. Got it? So how was he crying out with loud cries and tears? I mean, if you were watching Jesus pray, it was a sight. When Jesus wept, he wept. You know how he wept? He wept like Jeremiah. That's the reason why when uh, the disciples were asked, who do you say that people I am? Or who, or what, do, what do people say? Whom do people say I am? Some say, you are Jeremiah. Why Jeremiah? Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. And he taught people to lament. Do you know that? He wrote the book, book, The Lamentations. How did he teach people to lament? He said, you need to lament systematically. Meaning, even in your lamentations, you are not emoting, your emotions are still controlled by the word of God. And that is the reason why he wrote five chapters called the book of lamentations and each chapter is an acrostic. What is an acrostic? Every verse starts with the with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Aleph. Second verse, Beit, Gimel, Dalet. So every chapter has how many verses? 
22 verses. So you want to cry? Systematically cry. And he says, okay, fine, you want to cry more? So I'll give you chapter number 3. It will have 22 times 3, 66 verses. Each set of three will start with Aleph, Beth, Gimel, Dalit. So cry systematically. So when Jesus was weeping, it was a sight. He was absolutely under control. So, and then he says, the next verse was uh, in, in the same passage, although he was a son, he learned obedience. Boy, that's a crazy word, isn't it? Through what he suffered. Creator has to learn. What is that learning? And then was the last verse. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So, if you looked at, if you were here on last Wednesday, one particular central point on which the entire message was hovering around was this. I just put it as a one-liner for all of us. The fact that he was humble, Jesus was humble, was proven by his obedience. Okay? Philippians chapter 2 verse 8. To support this argument. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. So I want to make three observations. As I said, I'm thinking what God is trying to teach me. Observation number one. Genuine humility inspires and empowers obedience. Obedience does not imply humility. What is that? Genuine humility inspires and empowers obedience. Obedience does not imply humility. How do I know? Luke's Gospel chapter 18 verses 11 and 12. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. I thank thee that I am not as other men. You need to understand. Pharisees are always motivated by other men. I am not as other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers. Was he obedient? Yeah, yeah, obviously he was. But was he humble? No. Genuine humility inspires and empowers obedience. Obedience does not imply because there can be so many people who are obedient but so very proud of their obedience. They are not broken before God. That is observation number one. Observation number two. Genuine humility always leads to repentance. See that? Same thing, Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and then turn from their wicked ways, that is repentance. You see that? That's the second observation. Luke's Gospel chapter 18, same thing, same passage of the tax collector and the Pharisee and the publican. And the publican standing afar would not up so much, uh, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto the heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Meaning, 
true and genuine humility leads to repentance because that's what we were th- think, talking about. We are thinking, we are talking about there could be false humility, there is genuine humility. How do we know that I'm genuinely humble? That is observation number two. Observation number three. Genuine humility inspires genuine obedience which always exalts God and glorifies God and not man. Okay. It's very important. John's Gospel chapter 12 verse 26 to 28. If any man serve me, let him follow me and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. There are three times the voice came down from heaven. You know that? First time, when did the voice come down from heaven? When he was baptized. Second, the mountain of transfiguration. The third time, when he said this word, he says, Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. Three observations. So, implication for all of us. Let's read that together so that we will not fall asleep. If Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered and then was made perfect, what about me? If Jesus, the creator... He learnt obedience through the things that he suffered. He learnt obedience. Is there any other way for us to learn obedience? Answer? No. Okay. Let's see. We are in Lent season, right? We have to think as to what it really means to be in Lent. Lent season Many of many other mainline churches observe Lent and it is a good thing actually. It's a very, very good thing for the preachers also because their preaching becomes easier because they know what topics to preach from. <laughs> but but there is something about Lent. There's something about the cross. Look at what it says in First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Very, very powerful. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds we have been healed and every time when I was growing up in the mainline church what I used to hear Jesus came and died for your sins Jesus came and died for your sins every Lent season we heard about Jesus coming and dying for my sins but we never understood what he actually came for that we might die to sin and live to righteousness that that was never told to us If you've heard the name William Copper, how many of you have heard William Copper? Okay, if you haven't heard the name William Copper, how many of you have sung this hymn, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood? How many of you know that's hymn? Awesome hymn, right? How does it go? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see the, that fountain in his day and there may I though while as he washed all my sins away and there we will stop. But look at the next verse. This is what I want to particularly emphasize on. Look at the next verse. This is stanza number three. William Cooper, 1777, wrote this beautiful hymn. There is a fountain filled with blood. 
Stanza number three. Dear dying Lamb of God, thy precious blood shall never lose its power. The next line would say, till all the ransomed church of God are safe to sin no more. Oh, I, he died for my sins, he died for my sins, he died for my sins. And we always want to be last minute Christians. The dying thief <laughs> rejoiced to see that fountain in his day and there my eye, though while as he till the last moment, I can sin and enter into heaven. But no one talks about that Jesus didn't just come to save you from your, from the penalty of your sin. He came to save you from the power of your sin so that you can overcome sin. Dying Lamb of God, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God is safe, is safe to sin no more. See? And that is the context in which I want to pose and position this message. First Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. You need to understand something. Suffering is not so much physical, it is mostly in the mind. Now when I was growing up, there was a poetry in my English textbook called The Visit to the Dentist. My father knows it. The dentist says, I'm the guy who writes this, his experience about going to the dentist, he says, some tortures are physical, some tortures are mental, but that which is both is dental. (laughs) And I did not really appreciate that till I got a cavity. Oh, Baba, it is really torturous. What is he doing? He's just grinding. See? Most of our problems, you see, suffering is not so much a physical thing. It's got to do with the way you think. You need to understand that. So, Peter is saying, if you want to overcome sin and be safe to sin no more, arm yourself. It's literally have a sword in your mind and say, I'm going to do this till I get it. That's what it means. I want to overcome the sin. I want to overcome the sin. You know, I'm not saying that you should grit your teeth like that and try to overcome in your flesh, but say, Lord, 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 I want to overcome because you promised. Oh, Lamb of God, thy precious blood will never lose its power till all the ransom church of God, if I am a part of that church, is safe to sin no more. Is safe to sin no more. Let it be, Lord. Let it be a part of my mind. Because transformation is essentially the transformation of the way you think. Got that? You see? Many, many, and I'm telling you honestly, you know, if you look at the athletes who compete at the Olympics, especially in swimming, because the margins for error and, and, and of course athlete and, uh, short distance running because the margin of error is of the fraction of a fraction of a second. And if you look at them, they're all physically at the same level. You know what? 
the guys who actually cut it are the people who are mentally strong. You ask any athlete, he says, it's a state of my mind. Man, that's the reason why I love Rafa Nadal. Oh boy. I love him. You know why I love him? He says, you know what? I'm going to die first. And then you can take the trophy. You kill me, take the trophy. And you should, and you should, and you should listen to the comments of the commentators, okay? The comments of the commentators. And when he gets this forehand on a backhand winner, they go crazy. They say, you know what? That backhand is forged in steel. That's my language. They plagiarized it from the Bible. Why? What does it say about Joseph? Till the iron entered into his soul. Forged in steel. Mind which is absolutely, it's, 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 it's programmed to, to fight. See? Arm yourself. With that same way of thinking. So, why, why should I arm myself with the same way of thinking? Because it says that whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. The next verse will say, so that you will live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. That means you will not be guilty of only the sins of commission. You will also not be of the guilt of the sins of omission. You see? See how the whole thing comes together to train of thought? Got it, everybody? So, implication. Let's read that. What is implication? No other way. Romans chapter 8 verse 16 to 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. That's what it means. I can never experience the glory that God is going to bring out, bring into my life unless I suffer along with Him. So how do I qualify the suffering? How do I qualify the suffering. Understand this. What is, in other words, let me put it another way, what is this suffering not? Qualification. First Peter chapter 3 and verses 14 and 17. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. That means this suffering is for what sake? For righteousness sake. Verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good if should if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Second. Third. First Peter chapter 2 verse 20. For what credit is it when you sin and you are beaten for it and you endure? That means when you are sinning, you should definitely suffer. Okay? You should be beaten up. But if when you do good and you suffer for it, and you endure, it is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Next one, chapter 4 verse 15. But let, of, let none of you suffer as a murderer. How many murderers over here? Hopefully not many. Or a thief. Hopefully not many. Or an evildoer. Hopefully not many. But meddler. Always trying to interfere in somebody else's affair. The suffering is not for that. Another one, First Peter chapter 4, verse 19. 
Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. It was God who allowed that suffering into your life so that you can learn obedience. And trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So, if you know the good that you ought to do and you do not do it, it is what? Ah, this is that kind of sin. So if you want to do the good, you have to suffer, brother. You have to suffer. That's what it means. So what is the suffering? We'll try to understand that. But let me, before we go there, I want to delve a little deeper into, he's comparing my suffering, I mean, I need to suffer like the way Jesus suffered, because I should, um, since Christ therefore suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking, meaning, arm yourself with the way Christ thought about it, so that I can start learning obedience. So, let me just try to understand how is it that Christ suffered. I mean, rather learned obedience through the things he suffered. That's the next thing that I want to analyze. How did Jesus learn obedience to suffering? What is this suffering? Now John Piper puts it in one paragraph. I want to read that for you. Look at this. He learned obedience means that Jesus moved from untested obedience into suffering and then through suffering into tested and proven obedience. Look at this. Interesting, no? He moved from untested obedience into suffering and then through suffering into tested and proven obedience. That is what, that is how we learned. Meaning, see, like pastor keeps on telling, telling us, right? Your obedience will not be tested when you are asked to do the things that you like to do. But when you are asked to do the things that you not just don't like to do, you hate to do. Like going to government offices. Oh boy, I hate it. I just hate going to government offices. I mean, when my dad was growing up, I used to go, he used to work in a control office. They're always busy. I never seen, therefore I never could picture government offices not working. Like my dad used to say, Bukak in the chai ujjagam. Bukak in the chai meanings you are like this. All the day. Like this. I never used to picture that because my dad was always busy because he was in operations. Running around, thinking about his job, coming back home, sleeping, thinking about his work, thinking about his boss. And he is working for a central government office until I became big and went to a state government office. The file will not move from this desk to the next desk. And you ask him, that is not working, sir. This file is not working, sir. That software is not working, sir. This is not working, sir. And you have to go around and around and around until he gets his mula. Is that a suffering? <laughs> I'm telling you, that's, that is really, really suffering. And you look at those faces. So inviting. We're just waiting for you, sir. How awesome it is that you came to my office. Boy, suffering. You know what? Jesus exactly came to the same kind of scenario. He came to a set of people who did not want him. That's the point. From 
untested obedience, enjoying eternity with Father. And just going about the galaxies and boy, what a creation, God! No, 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 no. It was the Lamb of God who was slain even before the foundations of the world were laid. He was carrying his cross right from the beginning. From untested obedience to suffering and from suffering to tested and proven obedience and he had to be tested at every point. Every point. That is what Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 8 will say. Have what? Everybody read that. Have Ah, this mind, you see, this thinking, please. You don't like to think this way. Arm yourself, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. See that? From untested obedience into suffering and into tested and proven obedience in spite of the fact that he did not sin, neither was he conceived in sin. He was sinless right from the beginning. Right from the beginning he was sinless. And all his life he remained sinless and he had to grow in his obedience. Oh boy, that is humbling for a God to do that. God who knows everything, he had to learn. You know what he tells me? God is humble. You know what he tells me? Have a spirit to learn. Let it be a teachable spirit. Even from a babe. My own home, no? Justin and I, yesterday we wanted to have a family prayer and we said, Abigail and Emmanuel, you pray for us, then we'll pray for you and then you can go to bed. Okay, Abigail's one line prayer. Dear God, help mommy, papa not to fight. In Jesus name we pray. I said, Baba, why did I even ask her to pray? I had to learn. I said, oh boy, this girl is teaching me out of the mouth of babes and sucklings you have ordered, ordained praise to silence the enemy and the avenger. I said, Lord, thank you, Lord. Thank you. You're telling me something, Lord, that these young people are watching me. So if I have to model Christ before them, I need to learn from them. I need to learn. Think about it. Jesus had to learn. He went to the synagogues. He woke up morning by morning to learn. Come on. That is incredibly awesome. See that? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been... Let me write down... uh, Let me just take some scriptural liberty... uh, some, Some liberties over here in the text and say, you know what? He was tested. Tempted. As we are. And yet, did not sin. You know what? I, I, I gave you this example a few, few, few months back. Think about two businessmen who go on a business trip. 
both of them have troubled marriages. Right? Both of them have troubled marriages. So, they are in the business trip, the conference is going on, and after the conference is over, they come to the hotel room, and even as they're coming to the hotel room, they get into the launch, and there are two beautiful women who come to them, and one woman says, uh, can we have a date tonight? And one guy says, you know what? No. And the other guy says, no. And then he go back, goes back to his hotel rooms, both of them sleep, the next day, the same thing happens. One guy says, you know what? My wife... Oh, such a troublemaker, Lord. He doesn't deserve me. And he succumbs to the temptation. It's a week-long conference. But the other guy says, he also has an equally troubled marriage. But he says, no, 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 no. And the end of the seven days, he comes back home. Tell me who understands the power of sin more. The one who was tempted and rejected more or the one who was succumbed at the first stage. Tell me who. The one who was tempted and he rejected the most. He understands the power of sin more than you and I at every point. So, so if I want to learn this kind of suffering, I want to categorize it into five or six blocks. This is what I learned from scripture. How do I learn obedience through the things that I suffer? The first, first, and this is for common for all. Learning obedience by suffering under imperfect authority. What did I say? Learning obedience by suffering under an imperfect authority. This is possibly the toughest. If you cut this boy, everything else falls into place. Okay, PhD students, as an ex-PhD student, <laughs> this is my my thesis, <laughs> which I learned, not the PhD thesis, but the other part, <laughs> suffering under imperfect authority, and failing, and then succeeding again. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 50 to 52. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Think about it, no? He said something. What did he say? Don't you know that I should be be about my father's business? He was 12 years old and his parents didn't know a thing. You know what happens next verse? He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. To the people who did not understand what he was saying. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus, look at this. What happened? He increased. That means he was at one level of wisdom. And the moment he came under submission, he started increasing in wisdom. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Look at what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 24. And this is David who is running away from not imperfect authority, evil authority. Okay. One of the things that you need to learn, if you are under evil authority who's always ready to, is always wanting to harm you, run. But don't fight. I mean, that's what pastors counsel women who are going through physical abuse in their marriages. They say, you know what? If your husband is physically abusing you, run for your life. Like David did. 
Don't fight him. It will not go well with you. No, don't take your boxing gloves and start fighting him. No, don't do that. Run for your life. This is exactly what David did. And look at what, had hap- what happens, you know. This is really powerful. This is the New Living Translation, First Samuel chapter 24. G- uh, David is running for his life and uh, Paul is running after him. So, I'm sorry, not Paul, Saul. Saul. Saul is running after him and at one point he cuts off the hem of his robe and this is what happens. Verse 4. Now, now's your opportunity. David's men whispered to him, Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do what, to do with, uh, to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. You know, it's essentially cutting off a hem of his garment. Uncovering his nakedness in some sense. And next, what happens? But David's conscience began bothering him. Because he cut off Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord. Boy, the king. He's running after my life, but he's still my king. I should attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. I'll tell you what happened in my own life. When this is after I came back from, uh, I was in my university in Hyderabad. I was doing my PhD. We have a bunch of colleagues. We go for coffee. And during coffee, common discussion is about the boss. Okay? It's about the supervisor. Many times, and you throw in your mites and you cut off his robe with your words. With your words. And it may well be that your boss is really a pain. Recently I was talking to somebody, I was telling him, you know what? Even if your authority is wrong and you are right, it still does not give you the license to dishonor them. I want to ask you this question to software engineers. If there are any who will hear this word. Do you speak evil about your manager with your colleagues and cut off the hem of his robe with your conversation? Do you? Think about the conversations that you have with your friend about your manager who does not understand you. See? What happens? Does your conscience bother you? I mean, honestly, this is what happened to me. Came, I was listening to this message sometime ago. I heard this and said, David's conscience began to bother him and my conscience is not. I said, boy. And from that day onwards, You wouldn't believe it. I started speaking only good about my boss and I stopped going for coffee with friends. And if any student 
dares to speak against my boss, I would tell him, you shut your mouth, okay? You don't know my boss. You don't know my boss. He is my boss. He's my boss. Do you think it was easy to be under Elijah? Oh, come on. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And Elisha had to be under a man for 10 years who was depressed and moody all the time. You know what it says? For 10 years, Elisha was known as a servant who poured his water on the hands of Elijah and washed his hands. I want to learn this. And for you, young brothers and sisters from Grace Home, honestly, I'm telling you from the bottom of my heart as an elder brother, never say anything wrong about your parents. And never let or any thought which is negative about any authority to come into your mind. Never let it. Never let that. You may not agree, but you still do not have the right to dishonor him even or her even in your thoughts. It will go well with you. It will go well with you. It will go well with you. And the word of God has got power to work in those who believe. And therefore, whoever has got ears to hear, let him hear. Suffering under imperfect authority. That is the reason why First Peter. So the Lord forbid that I should put on, put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, especially against anointed men of God, servants of God. Just don't even entertain any thoughts, any 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 information. Don't entertain. It's none of your business. Not your business at all. Run for your life. For that is the reason why First Peter chapter 2 verse 18 and 19 will say, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when being mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered under imperfect authority. Think about it. Now every time he goes to the synagogue, and this guy is reading the Torah, he has to listen to boring sermons. Boring. That was because they only had the letter. They didn't have the spirit. And he himself said the spirit brings life. And he had to listen to these dead, boring expositions from the Talmud and the Torah. Suffered. Have this mind. Have this mind. It will go well with you, brothers and sisters. Next one. Next one, okay. Let's read that together. What is that? Suffering in an imperfect marriage. And let me tell you, every marriage, every marriage, all marriages are imperfect. Including the marriage of the bridegroom with the bride. Because he is perfect, we are imperfect. Understand that? So, eh, every time, you know, we do the, do it with the women first. So, this time I want to just change the order because I don't want you to think that we are bombarding you. So, let's start with the men. Okay. First Peter chapter 3 verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives. Don't deal with your wives. 
Okay, don't deal with them, but live with them in an understanding way. Showing honor to them as a weaker vessel. As a weaker vessel. Very difficult for us to think, why is she crying? Why is she so emotional? They are meant to be like that. Just leave them like that. Giving honor to them as a weaker vessel. And I've got three girls who who cry. I can't understand sometimes. Then, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7 comes to my rescue. Weaker vessel, Lord. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, God is teaching me something there. Teaching me to have a mind to suffer so that your prayers may not be hindered because Lord, my relationship with you is so important. So how do I live with my wife? This is what I'm supposed to do. I need to take spiritual headship in my house, not headship alone. Spiritual headship. What does it tell me? What does it mean? First Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water by the word. Meaning you know what? Wash her. Speak to her. You don't have to always give her a Bible study but let get, let scripture come and creep into your conversations. Ask God for wisdom. How do I put scripture into this conversation? How do I bring it? I started doing that with my own wife. Hi, oh, she said, oh. The other day she came to me and she said, uh, uh, I want to get a word for uh, missionary trip. So can you tell me which verse comes to your mind? I said, very simple. Romans chapter 10. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. How can they hear the gospel if nobody sent? How can you send? How can they, I mean, Etc. 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 I showed that she said, "Wow, this is so beautiful." And we had a conversation on that. Wash her, have conversations on the word of God. Like Pastor was saying, don't use a whose, but wash. Oh, that's difficult because we don't want to do that. Try it. Now let's come to the wives. How do you suffer in an imperfect marriage? For the husband, you should use the word of God. For the wives. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husband so that even if some do not obey the word, do not use the word. Don't tell him, thus says the Lord. Don't give him a Bible study. Try it. How do I win my husband? With gentle and a pure conduct coupled with fear. You try that? Oh, no, 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 no. You start thinking scripture. Because you're already in GDC now. Which scripture should I, to you should I use for my husband? No, 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 no. Don't try that. Don't try that. It's not, not, it's not going to work even if you're right. It's not going to work. Because God said that. He made it that you should win over your husband without a word. And if you try it with a word, you think it's going to happen? No. The word of God has got power to those to work in those who... Believe. Believe. Suffering in an imperfect marriage, this is tough. 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 Marriage is a sanctifying tool. And tell me, I I can tell you about it because I've been married for nine years now. Not nine levels of sanctification, but yes, some level of sanctification at least. Suffering in an imperfect marriage. Learning. Obedience. 
power. Let's read that. Everybody? Suffering in an imperfect church. Kya baat hai? Somebody said, no. If you're searching for a perfect church, you'll never find it. But if you did, if you did find one, don't go there, you'll spoil it. There is no perfect church. Oh, I did not expect this thing to come from GTC congregation. Expect. Expect. First Peter chapter 4 verse 8. You know what? If you want to successfully suffer, read Peter. Okay. First Peter chapter 4 verse 8. Above all, keep loving. It's actually keep on loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Oh boy, I like that, no? That is the reason why the qualifications of a widow whom, who deserves the support of the church is a widow who has brought up children, who has washed the feet of the saints. She has suffered. That is a widow who is qualified to, re- to receive support from the church. Show hospitality to one another. Without grumbling, meaning four hours both of The other day, some brother came to our home and I was listening to him for four hours continuously. My wife was looking at me, Vijay, you never listen to me like that. You have time for everybody. I'm suffering in an imperfect church. She doesn't understand that. Listening, and she was getting shocked. How come this fellow? Because he gets fidgety if after 15 minutes of conversation with me, he wants to go and do something, 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 which is apparently more important than me. I know this guy comes and he's taking four hours of my time, grumbling. I mean, actually, it's more difficult for women to suffer that way. Really, honestly, it's not easy to be a minister's wife. It's not easy. If you have dreams, I want to get married to a pastor. Romantic. Oh, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know. You don't know. So show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God's very grace in ESV. Suffering and imperfect church. Very important. How do you, how do you cover multitude of sins? You watch each other's back. That's what it means. This is what you do all the time. How do you do it? James will tell us, James chapter 5, before that, never give up on a brother. Never give up. Have hope for him, even till the end. James chapter 5, verses 19 to 20. This is how James signs off his letter. This is what he, he doesn't say grace of grace be with you all, peace be with you all. No, 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 no. He just says 19 and 20 full stop. That's it. This is what I'm saying. This is how, how I'm ending, ending my letter. My brothers, if any one of you among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Ta-da. That's how he signs off. So let us see that suffering in an imperfect church. And you want to be an elder in a church? Let's read the next one. All of us together. Suffering for an imperfect congregation. Oh, that is tough. 
Oh boy. And Peter will say this. He says, this is what he says to the elders. You want to be an elder brother in the church? Arm yourself with this way of thinking. Arm. What is this thinking? So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Meaning, I know how much he suffered for me. Peter. He never gave up upon me. He was a true shepherd brother. I said, I want to go back fishing. He came fishing for me. Right from the beginning, he was fishing for me. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as a, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of, not your flock, the flock of God that is among you. Meaning, don't shepherd somebody else's flock. Shepherd your own flock. Okay? Then how do you do it? Exercising oversight. That's what it says. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for filthy lucre, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That is how you suffer for an imperfect congregation. You want to be an elder? Oh boy. There is suffering involved. You need to feed them. You don't never give up upon them. Always have hope for them. Exodus chapter 32, verse 31 to 32. This is what Moses has to say. The first, one of the greatest shepherds. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people have sinned. A great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. Do you have this heart? The most intelligent people, the two most intelligent people in the Bible who wrote parts of scripture, first five books of Moses. Moses wrote, brilliant man. Paul wrote most of the epistles, brilliant man. Both of them have one word in common. You know what? Lord, blot out my name. Blot out my name, Lord. For these people. That is how they suffer. Finally, this is incredible suffering. The last one. Last one. Let me read that for you. Read that aloud, everybody. Your obedience will cost others. I mean, this is a, a meditation from Oswald Chambers. My utmost for his highest is what he has to say. A lack of progress in our spiritual life results when we try to bear all the costs ourselves. That means we are independent people. We don't need anybody. But actually we cannot. Because we are so involved in the universal purposes of God, others are immediately affected by our obedience to Him. I'm telling you honestly, it was a very difficult decision for me. I said, Lord, what about my parents, Lord? They'll be affected. That's what I used to think. Your obedience is going to cost others for sure. Will we remain faithful in our obedience to God and be willing to suffer the humiliation of refusing to be independent? I love that. You know what Paul says? I long to see your brothers. Because I want to impart some spiritual gift to you. But you know what? I'm coming to you that 
both of us will be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Meaning, I the great apostle, I need you. I need you. I need you. Look at what he says. Or will we do just the opposite and say, I will not cause other people to suffer, Lord. Especially those people who are closest to me. We can disobey God if we choose and it will bring immediate relief to the situation. But it will grieve our Lord. If however we obey God, He will care for those who have suffered the consequences of our obedience. We must simply obey and leave all the consequences to Him. Did Jesus suffer this? Did Jesus' obedience cost others? what it says. Luke's gospel. Luke's gospel, chapter 23, verse 26. As they led him away, who's this? Jesus. On his final walk towards Golgotha. They seized one Simon. Okay? What did they do? They seized one Simon of Syrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. You know what it tells me? This is ultimate humility of the creator. That he know what he says? Lord, I can actually carry this cross all by myself. But I still want to show others that to carry my cross, I still need Others help. What? That is the reason why you want to carry your cross. You need to humble yourself and say, you know what? I need the church. I need the church. I need my brothers. I need my sisters. I'll tell you honestly, when Sri Srikar was leaving, it was like, oh Lord is leaving, Lord. I need him, Lord. I need him. Honestly, I need him. And so I was telling myself, Lord, why is he going off? Lord, I need him. We're knit together. It It was as if a fabric was just going away from the church. So we need each other. That's that is you cannot carry your cross. When Jesus said carry your cross, he didn't say no, you carry your cross alone. No, 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 no. You need somebody else. That's the reason why it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves daily. Encourage one another. Pray for one another. Sing songs to one another. Jesus himself had somebody helping him. You know what else? All eternity it will be read that Simon helped Jesus carry his cross. Boy, boy, do you want that in your resume? Ultimate humility. This is how you learn obedience, saints. There is no other way. There is no other way. So, why is this important? What is God taking us to? What is the ultimate purpose of obedience? Through suffering. First Peter chapter 5, verse 10. After you have suffered, everybody, a little while. <laughs> a little while. 
when compared to eternity, what you're going through is a little while. The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So brothers and sisters, learn obedience to suffering. There's no other way. Shall we pray? Thank you, Father. Let your word find its way not just in our minds, but let it go into the deepmost parts of our inner man, into the spirit, and let it become a part of our spirit. So that we will experience the mind of the spirit in increasing measure, even as we walk in obedience to you every day of our life. Teach us the spirit of suffering. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name.